Hey, this is Brendan Gersall, and you are listening to the Speaking Of Podcast. In today's episode, we are sitting down with a person that is just a real hero to me. I've got several episodes coming out where I sit down with people who have just meant the world to me, people who have influenced me, poured into my life, been models, and just real heroes of mine. And today I sit down with Dr. H.C. Wilson. He is a leader who I have just admired both up close and from afar my entire life. He has led at a variety of levels in the local church and in the denomination that I'm a part of, the Wesleyan Church. And he has just lived an exemplary life. And I just am so thrilled to be able to sit down with him, pick his brain on everything from life and leadership and faith. It's just a great thing to be able to sit down with your hero. I enjoyed this conversation. I really hope you do as well. This is my conversation with Dr. H.C. Wilson. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Welcome well, to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Have you, I mean, talk about, um, you know, we, we made a joke there earlier about would you have imagined, you know, when we were down in the recording studio, yeah. I was thinking, you, you know, you've, you've uh, seen a lot of different changes in your life, you know, and you've, ministries look different for you uh, in different places in the world at different times, but would you imagine sitting in a little tiny corner with uh, a couple microphones and headphones on, this going out to a... Obviously, I would not have. Uh, I grew up in a ministry environment where the word podcast didn't exist. That's right, yeah. If you'd looked it up in the dictionary, it would have just... It was a new word now. A whole new word. Yeah. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new idea. Yep. I think it's very cool, but it's very different. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a ministry world where podcasts didn't exist, there. so that yeah. <laughs> shows you how much... Transgenerational mu- issues. Absolutely. So... I, I wanted to just, I think I thought it'd be so fun to sit down and, you know, I've, I've admired you from afar as a kid. And then in the last probably 15 years, as I've been in ministry, I've been able to, to work alongside you and get to know you here and there, have some conversations, some cool ones. I remember one in an airport in, in Washington, I think we were waiting in a layover and just, again, I'll always remember these, these conversations, but I thought it'd be neat to just have more of a, it's not formal, it's informal, it's a podcast, but more right. of a, just a chance to, to pick your brain, ask you some questions. And, sure. you know, one thing I wanted to just jump right into was, you know, I've heard you reference your story enough times, but I've not actually heard your story. Like, I, I know that you, you've served in church leadership for the, you know, half a century or more. That, that's close. That's close. close. Yeah. Yep. And, and, but I've heard you refer, though, to the fact that you were in banking beforehand and I actually want to know what possessed a person to to change from a career in banking to go into ministry like what was that shift because you'd already set out on one path and how did that how did that come about well actually I set out on a path for the ministry first okay I felt like I was called to the ministry when I was in high school but I worked for a bank a trust company actually in Moncton a couple of summers while I was in high school and then college as a part-time job okay and that kind of lit a little bite in me about maybe I like this finance world pretty good, maybe. Yeah. So after, but I had gone to one year of Bible college training, and the guy at the bank, the manager dude, called me on the phone and said, would you like to come back to work for us this summer? And if you'll come full time, we'll double the salary we were paying you last year. Oh, wow. But you'd have to say I'm staying on in the fall. Right. So I made an immature and unwise decision and decided I'd sooner be rich than righteous. Yeah. And so I said, sure, I'm on my way. Yeah. So that's what I did, and I worked there for six years. Wow. And did well. I traveled across the country in every province of the country on their inspection staff and had 
quite a little promising career there yeah. and enjoyed it. Uh, but I never got away from this underlying, well, maybe nag is not the best word, but an underlying yeah. gnawing at my spirit that I really should be doing something different. Right. One of the things in that whole process that uh, when I began to seriously wrestle with the fact, this was about six years into my job with the trust company, up at Beulah, actually, on a Sunday night, I was struggling with this call to the ministry thing. Am I going to go back to that or am I not? Right. What's the deal here? And because I had done well enough in the other job that I had traveled in every province of the country as a part of a traveling inspection team, I was bitten by the travel bug. Okay. So one of the things that the enemy held over my head when I was doing this grappling with what should I do? Yeah is that if you decide to win the ministry, young man, you'll never be outside the woods in New Brunswick. Right, you're going to give all that up. You're going to give all that up to, to do this deal. Wow. Anyhow, that's what I ultimately did, however, is give up all this stuff and go into the ministry, which I did, um, and pastored two churches, one for three years and one for six. Okay. And then in the minds of some, Brent, I left the ministry and went into church leadership yeah. administration. Yeah. Some people thought that. Sure. More than once I was asked, when are you going to go back in the ministry? Which meant, really? Which meant go take a church. Yeah. That's and, what that meant. And for those for those listening that aren't familiar with, with who you are, you, you were um, a key player in leading the denomination that we're part of, the Wesleyan Church. And, yeah. you know, people people maybe not seeing that as the same thing as being in a, in a pastorate. No, it seemed different to them somehow. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in the process of that, however, those experiences I had with the denomination and this mission agency and so on proved again what the Bible says, that the devil is a liar right. and the father of lies. Yeah. During that time, when the devil had said to me, you'll never travel again, yeah. since then I've been in 103 countries. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. the old, old <laughs> that red legs, job, that was my job. Yeah. So old red legs kind of yeah. proved again that it wasn't the thing. And yeah. so I was in administration a quite a long time, but I don't like that word very much. Yeah. Well, the, the, the leadership. Yeah. yeah. So I was yeah, in the leadership for sure. piece for quite a long time. Yeah. But, a number of levels in the denomination, saw a lot of the world, tried to make a difference. It's too bad that we live in a time, you know, where administration is a, is a bad word, you know. The Trump administration. Yeah, like it doesn't exactly. have Or the Trudeau administration, <laughs> yeah. whatever yeah. one you want to pick. But it's actually a gift of the Spirit. Yeah. Like, or it's, it's, some, it's one of the gifts that I think Paul outlines is the gift of administration. And Well, you and I didn't just walk in here this morning and sit down in this studio and all of this stuff had mysteriously appeared from somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. There was administration behind that, that we bought this and we bought that and we put it together and here we are now utilizing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be good. Although some people hide behind it. Yes. Yeah. People hide behind it. Yeah. I spent a lot of my life doing that. Right. Yeah. So I I think it's interesting. You know, I think about your, you're telling me that, you know, you're, you're, at Bible college, sort of pursuing that track, and then this opportunity came. And it's funny, you see, you see a couple of things at work. On the one hand, you could say, you know, and I think we've all maybe seen this in our lives where, you know, it's like God, sometimes, I don't know if it's God, te- it's definitely God allowing this to happen, but it's almost like maybe the, the devil can, can give us a, 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 an enticing distraction maybe to pull us off of what, what God was beginning to do. And yet God lets us you know, God is so gracious in how he leads us that sometimes he'll let us go do that. And then, um, you know, I see that happen in your life where, 
you know, you go into, into this administration thing. And on the one hand you say, well, was that a, was that stepping off? Was that an immature decision? But on the other hand, you say, well, look how God used that though, to yeah. prepare you to be able to have those, th- the gifts of administration, you know, at a certain, and, and that banking background, I mean, I've been in a room before where it's evident that that has been a tool in the tool bag for your leadership. And so it's just, it's just interesting to think about how, you know, and I think sometimes we get so, I don't know what the word is, um, twisted up about the God's will. And, you know, if I do this, is it in step with God's will? And I think one of the interesting things I think about your life is you've actually helped, you know, probably hundreds or more than that actually help discern whether it's a call to ministry or the mission field or that kind of thing. Like what, what do you, when you think about discerning the will of God in your life, like how do you how do you process that? How do you help others process? You know, taking those steps to follow. You know, such a you can I find with God's will it can be mysterious, and you can make an argument whether is is this God or is this the devil trying to, or or yes. Well, when I work when I was working with the trust company those years, there was a time when I shifted back to the ministry where I should have been from the start in a way. Those years looked like wasted years. Right. But you've alluded to this already. I learned things from the school of hard knocks, as they say. Yeah. And being involved with business people who didn't have a Christian orientation necessarily. Right. I learned things there that were of invaluable service to me and others when I was in positions to give advice and counsel. I'd been down a road. Most people who go to Bible school and then go to seminary or some combination like that and end up in the ministry. Yeah. The only thing they've taken about basic finances is the one course that might be required. Right. Like they're just kind of a Like drip. me. Yeah, they don't know a debit from a credit, hardly. Yeah. I took right. one course, and, it was, and you taught it. <laughs> there, see. So, <laughs> well, so look, everybody look around at King's Church. Yeah. If you yeah. want to get. <laughs> yeah, don't talk to our CFO before yeah. he got here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, that was sort of an interesting thing to it. But with discerning the will of God, my mother was a godly woman. She was not an educated person at all, but, and she had an interesting concept on the will of God. I haven't decided whether I embrace it totally or not. Yeah. But her concept was the dot versus the corral. Okay. That was her deal. Yeah. What's that mean? That means there's a big corral out here that's God's will for you and yeah. includes such things as you coming to Christ yeah. and you being called to the ministry and raising up a godly family. Though like that big corral that takes in. Yeah. But the dot was where does God want you at this minute? Yeah. Right. Like narrow that right down okay. to the center. Yeah. She was a strong believer that God has a dot in the center for everybody's life. Okay. Yeah. And we need God's help to find out what that is. It isn't about are you a believer? It it, it doesn't mean that if you don't find the dot you're going to go to hell when you die or yeah. something yeah. like that. It just means you are outside of what she used to call the perfect will of God. Yes. The perfect will of God was the dot. Yeah. Wow. And so often when people were seeking to find or asking counsel about that, I would try to get into a discussion about if you could look 20 years ahead from now, what do you think God's spirit might be stirring in you? What, right. what do you feel? To try to determine whether there was any sense of an actual objective, so maybe not the best word, but an objective out there somewhere that, you know, I'd like to be a missionary in Zambia or whatever it might be. Right. Uh, or as opposed to saying, oh, I just want to do good for my fellow man. Right. Like, was there something had a little more sense of a dot yes. to it? I had a guy come to me one time in South Africa when I was there. He was there visiting, 
and came to me and just flat out said, I believe God wants me to be a missionary to South Africa. What do I have to do to get from what I'm doing now to get there? Yeah. Like he had that. Yeah, and, and he ended up doing that over time. We got yeah. that together. So, but she was a dot versus the big corral thing, meaning out here yeah. in the corral, you could be doing things as, that please God. Yeah. She would hold the view that if you left King's Church today and went to some other church, some other place, yeah. you haven't violated God's law. You're still a part of his family and right. you're, you're good to go. But are you in the dot yes. where you should be? That's right. such a helpful, I've never thought of it that way, but you think about God's, God's general will for us is, I think, very generous yeah. and broad. And I've, I've noticed more than once in my life a very keen sense of awareness where it's like, I don't know if God d- desired me to be in this place, but there's almost that like, well, here we are now. <laughs> so let's make the most of it. Yeah. It's like I find God very generous with his children and, and, and with all of us. I think that's in his nature. But I think that having that, because I think that's where we get lost is we, we sense that general, it doesn't, you know, at the, at the, on the one hand, I don't want to use the word, it doesn't really matter what we do. It does. But God's very very generous with... Well, one of the traits of that generosity you're talking about, the scripture says, it's God's will that all men be saved. Right, right. Okay? All men, meaning all people, yep. of course. Yeah, So that's the generosity of it. You get inside the corral. Right. Because we hold a... The- I do at least a theological perspective. The gospel is available to everybody who accepts Christ. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. So that's the generosity piece, mm-hmm. that that's open to anybody. Right. But then some of the more particular gifts of the Spirit and ministry and other things... They narrow down yes. toward the dot, yeah, and uh, you, you, and that might be a good a good analogy just for what like maturity is is learning learning how to dial in that like to focus your your followership so to speak of how he's how he's leading you because I I remember I don't know why this is coming to mind but when you were sharing that I was remembering you telling me um, I think it was we we sat on a committee when we were talking about membership and how. You know, at at some at, at some level, when you follow follow the Lord, you know everything's not as nice and neat and tidy as you want it to be, and there's nuance in in following Him. And sometimes there, you have to take the sort of the, the the scope of it all to know, you know, like in the I think it's in Romans where Paul says, like you'll then you'll know His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like that, that sometimes it takes a, a whole sum of factors to figure those things out. I remember you talking about. Um, I think a particular situation in Africa that you were sort of presiding over where there's a gentleman in a monogamous relationship. He comes to, or sorry, a, 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 a polygamous. polygamous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He had multiple wives Yes, and yeah. now he's a Christian. Yeah. And like, how do you, so do you divorce one? So like in the, in the complexity of that. And I think yeah. this, this, that corral and the dot sort of helps. Generally speaking, we believe divorce is a very bad thing. Like it's yeah. destructive. However, specifically in this situation, there might be there might be some other factors to think through. Even what would happen? I think you were mentioning something that like the complexity of that situation with the spouse that got divorced. Like, yeah, well, you know. see what would happen there in that particular culture. Yeah, that particular culture, which would be tribal, right. South African, right? Yeah, a man having three wives is a common thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not frowned on in any way. Right. It's a part of the general culture. So this guy becomes a believer, and then if you take the narrowest view of all that kind of stuff, he needs to get rid of two of these three wives he had and keep one. Right. Except you make the sin, if you want to call it, that you make it more grievous by doing that. Yes. The women cannot return to their family's home. It's considered an insult. 
or shame to the family. Yeah. And so they are left to make their living by being on the street. Right. Well, that was yeah. going to make the whole situation, in yeah. our opinion, much worse. But it was very interesting from a well-refined, conservative North American ministerial mindset. Right. I was chairing that meeting or yeah. trying to. Yeah. In a good meeting, the meeting's in the hands of the chairman. Yeah. In a poor meeting, the chairman's in the hands of the meeting. <laughs> right. It was kind of like it was kind of like that. We had English and Zulu and and uh, Afrikaans. Okay. All yeah. being simultaneously used oh, and multiple land. translations. We're trying to sort this out. And wow. I think this is probably appropriate to say, but partway through that whole proceeding, we finally agreed, by the way, he could keep his three wives and yeah. stay as a member in good standing, but he could yeah. not take another. Right. Yeah, that seems, yeah. That's where we ended yeah. up because otherwise it was going to make the sin, if you want to call it that, worse. Yeah. But partway through the discussion, a uh, man stood up uh, in an perfect English, said to me, Mr. Chairman, my name is Simon Mugazi. And he said, uh, I am educated, I work for the Transit Hall government and I was educated in America. And he said, what we are discussing here is simultaneous polygamy, a man with more than one wife at the same time. Yeah. said, I was educated in America and went to many churches there. And my observation is that you folks practiced consecutive polygamy. Ah, ooh. He said, you don't have yeah. all your wives at once. You just have them one after the other. Wow. He said, I, I would just hold to you that that is not a better model than the one that's being discussed this morning. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Sit down. Oh, sat down. Oh, wow. I thought it was an interesting perspective, though, to yeah. hold, right? Yeah. But that's such an, I mean, what a, this is, this is a cool conversation because, you know, you get thinking about the, the complexity of, situations and learning how to follow Jesus through those things, you know, on the one hand, you know, we have to consult, you know, like the, the heart, the heart of the law, you know, so to speak. And yet on the other hand, we can't trust our own hearts. They're very deceptive. And, the, and a lot of the time, what seems right, like it says in Proverbs, like what seems right to a man in, in its end leads to destruction. And I think if we look at, I'd love your take on, you know, Western culture in 2020, I think I think feelings are a pretty major player in the God of this age. Well, I was just going to kind of go to the cultural thing because in the case of the illustration we just discussed, yeah. <clears throat> every this is an overgeneralization that I cannot prove to be true, but I believe it's true. Every culture believes their culture is the one God prefers. Right. Wow. Yeah. No matter where you go in the world, they think our culture is the one that God best. So in that sense... Everywhere you go that is different from where we have grown up and been a part of, yeah. then you have to suddenly, in, you, ha, you have to contact or come in contact with the scriptures in the light of how that culture has interpreted them. Right. Yes. Some more conservative and some more liberal, but they all think it's the right position. Right. Always interesting ways to navigate. And North America, of course, of course, swings back and forth all over the place. Yes. And we're in cultural upheaval now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly our friends of the South. I mean, there's yeah. cultural upheaval going on. So how do you find your way in that? How do you determine where should we be here? What wind is blowing now that won't be blowing next month? Right. And all of that. Yeah. What and do you think are helpful guidelines like in that? Because like, I think, you know, my generation and my children's generation are going to have to learn, I think every generation, how to, how to 
discern the will of God and follow Jesus. Like we're, we're doing a series at the church right now where it's like, we're asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus in 2020? Yeah. You know, and like what for you, what are, what are kind of the, Hey, here's the non-negotiable. If I'm trying to form, form, like formulize, um, you know, uh, an ethic, so to speak, yeah. here are the things that I'm considering primarily like what for you, what are those things? Well, obviously you go back, you go back to the very beginning if you do not acknowledge Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, we don't really have a starting place to talk. Yeah. Right? We Which, can have a conversation, all right, but in terms of a mutually shared value conversation, yeah. we have to have, that's the biggest rock in the jar. And right? it's interesting how often the church uh, is not acknowledging that rock, you know, yeah. in certain discussions uh, that are, are, are ongoing in the church. Like I find I've had... I've found myself in discussion with others about some philosophical or theological thing and then realize, actually, we aren't coming from the same place because I don't know if you're acknowledging Jesus as Lord yep. or the Scripture as authoritative. Well, see, the, there's the theological position called the scandal of particularity, the scandal that dares to say there's a particular way to peace with God, uh, not multiple ways, a particular way. Right. Right. And which, of course, is acknowledging that Jesus was the Son of God, and through him there is access to the Father. That scandal, so-called a particularity, if we don't have agreement, Brent, on that, then we don't really have much of a place to go in the discussion other than how can we keep from killing each other or right. something. Yeah. But in terms of trying to build an ongoing relationship, you can't do that. So in our shifting cultural sands, now we're hearing a lot of talk that there are many ways to God. Right, right. Not just a single way, and that scandal of particularity thing is becoming less and less popularly accepted, shall we say. Even to the point of saying, how dare you be so narrow in your view that you think only Jesus will lead you to God. So there's a lot of that going on, so to speak. So the conversation, an ongoing conversation with someone who's a serious seeker after faith has to begin on the particular claims of Jesus that he was the son of God and the only way to God. Yes, right? yeah. But that's a very hard pill for some people to, less popular than ever. Yeah, when you, and I think you, you do get opportunity when you get in these discussions because I've had, I've had them with folks who have been part of our church or left the church over this reason or that, and a lot of them having to do with, um, you know, what are in their minds ideological issues like, like marriage, sexuality, right. gender, the kind of hot-button yep. stuff. Yep. And I, and I consistently find like, okay, we haven't both taken the same pill here though, that says like, okay, we're going to, we're going to submit to Jesus as Lord and, and try to fill that in and what he would have us do primarily based on how, what the scriptures say, and I'm open to interpretation, but we need to have, keep that dialogue squarely in that arena. And I'm finding, I'm finding even now um, a, a consistent move from that biblical, exegetical conversation that's mutually submitted to Jesus as Lord, that those conversations end up over here in some sort of, well, just I just think that, or, yeah. you know, I think it's time that we embrace this, or, you know, Jesus loved everybody, therefore, you know, like, and it's an interesting And to see. what I believe has kind of become a, a watchword, like, I don't mean me personally, just people in the general culture. Yes. What I believe is the truth. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's what you believe or not is irrelevant. You can have your own truth. Right. Yeah. But I'm going to have my truth. Yeah. You know, that says God has three heads or whatever yeah. it says. But I'm yeah. going to have my own truth. 
Yeah. And of course, people want to challenge, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Does that absolute truth even exist for goodness sakes? Yeah. Which is a pretty crazy question to ask, right? Like based on the definition of what truth is, like I think that implies that there is truth, right? And it's, it's interesting how it's not even a hidden um, ideal, like ideology that truth is subjective. It's overt in the, you know, you live your truth, tell your truth, yeah. we'll say things like that. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually an inappropriate usage of the word true, you know, because I've, I mean... I'm not the truest of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm, I, I've, I've recognized inconsistencies in me and it's just a, it's an interesting day to be, to be following Jesus and bringing up kids and leading, leading a church. If you're in a group where there's uh, marriages that are in difficulty mm-hmm. and you say to a husband and wife who are not in agreement and they're going to split up, you say, may I have your version? What is your truth? Right. You'll discover that the truth from the one and the truth from the other, they don't even cross anywhere. Right. Right. So obviously they can't possibly be truth only yeah. as it is understood by them. Right. When you apply that rubric, however, to the divinity of Christ, you get into a pretty bad place. Yeah. Pretty I, early. It, it's, you start, we start to create him in our own image. Yep. And it's, uh, I think it's something that we're all prone to do. I don't think it's, it's easy to sit and, and, and point at ways that other people do that and then, then exempt ourselves that we don't do that. I think being a, we've got to even come back to a place where we realize that's a bad thing. Like, I, I think that's what we're losing now is that, you know, there's almost like not just a permission to sort of recreate the faith and our, our theology, you know, in how we see it or think it should be, but it's like, it's actually promoted. You know. Well, when I was your age, back in that generation, back there somewhere, inside the the narrowest view that groups like ours had, we didn't hold all of these, but some groups like us, they defined truth by the things you didn't do. It wasn't by the things you believed necessarily. Yeah. Right? Did you drink or smoke or go to chew tobacco or go to the show those yeah. you do and all yeah. that stuff? And so truth was judged by a long list right. of irrelevant external behaviors yeah and that's how truth was defined and that needed to change drastically that was suffocating the church you so you lived through you lived through a time where the church had had gone into legalism almost like that they'd they'd clamp down so hard on we hold these things to be true and if you don't then you're out yeah and you saw that within denominations i did now not so much here in our area but in some parts of our own denomination or others yeah extreme case i know of a church camp meeting environment in the united states not directly connected to us but when women came on the campground they had people at the gate to measure how far their skirt was above or below their knee wow and that determined whether you get in or not now wow. the rumor was that the teenage boys all wanted that job so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that part yeah. was true yeah but the other thing was they had somehow because if you get into that deep legalism stuff that's trying to define truth by your external behavior, yeah. then it's a cycle that leads downward, and there's no bottom in the hole. It's a yeah. hole with no bottom in it. Yeah. So you can never be holy enough by the way you're behaving. Yeah. Right? And so fortunately, we've come out of that, but now there's, of course, the overcorrection right. thing to go way over here yeah. until you must endorse and embrace everything coming down from, the pike. From legalism to license, yeah, exactly. where th- nothing matters. And it, it's <laughs> and everybody thinks they're in the middle of the road, by the way. Right. On the legalism license yeah, thing. I'm centered. I'm centered, and I'm balanced. 
Yeah. And by inference, you're not. Well, I, and I wonder, it's, it's, you know, I, and I think you probably found this in, in your, in your life, but there are times where I think if you're following Jesus relationally, you're going to see times where you have maybe where he's course correcting you coming back from the right or the left and bringing you more centered. You know, I don't, I don't know that we're ever, you no. know, bang on, but you come into a place of, of, of that's more centered. But I, I, in this, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what I, I'm in a time right now where, um, you know, you, you, and this might be just even the age I'm at where I'm closing in on 40 and I, I, you probably have lessons you could tell me about. Be aware of how you think when you're in your twenties and your thirties and your forties, and I, and I, I'm sure those things would be true. And I'm, I'm starting to understand uh, the heart that you know. Growing up with my grandparents, for instance, I mean, you're, we we come from the same uh, sort of Reformed Baptist background, and you know, I was handed, you know, not not explicitly, not explicitly. I don't I don't think any of my pastors or my parents gave me religion. Um, and yet I somehow interpreted, you know, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You do these things and you don't do these things. And there had to be this revelation through my twenties and even early thirties of, of being breaking out of, um, maybe legalism and finding love, like a, a, a love relationship with God. Um, and now though I'm, I'm, I'm at a zone where, I've got kids. Um, one's in middle school now, um, second year in middle school, actually. Like, I have a teenager, uh, which is just wild. Um, and I have, I have a church uh, that, that I care about. And I'm starting to understand a little bit more the heart behind the rules, so to speak, that, that originally somebody somewhere out of a heart of pursuit for God said, you know what, it'd be better if you didn't wear a skirt that went up above yeah. your knees. Yeah. And here's why. And there was a heart behind that that was actually in a pure place. That it God was trying to be positive yes. and protect of both. Yeah. Like your grandparents, for example, yeah. wanted to protect you from unnecessary danger yeah. and wandering away from the faith if they could. Right. Right. Yeah. So the as you're saying, the idea of some of these things they were not evil yep. in any way when they started. They were protective, I think. Yeah. But then they become more protective. Yeah. And, you know, you add another layer of regulation onto the layer you had. Yes. After a while, people suffocate. And you'd think you'd think we saw that happen in the Bible. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah, you? Exactly. Well, and that's exact. I mean, it's, it's just incredible how we, we just repeat these cycles because yeah. that's, by the time Jesus came, you know, they had, the, the Jews had... Laws upon laws upon laws, yep. and they'd completely lost the heart of it, and and they didn't even know it when it stood in front of them. So you were judged totally by you, are you keeping the law or not? Yeah, I mean that was That's the it. whole deal right there. Yeah, and I, I wonder if the question of our day, and I'm I'm, and I, I don't want to talk to you about 2020 here in a minute, but like, I wonder if one of the things that. You know, I don't know if I, I know we're not going to be the ones who got it right. Let's just not be, you know, let's not go down that road. But I wonder if w one of the things that God is inviting us to is to figure out um, what it looks like to have a lifestyle that follows Jesus that, you know, 
obeys the law, so to speak. Like, I do think it matters, you know, what we do and, and that there should be standards. So I, 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 one of the, those was one of the words that's been on my heart this year is that I, th- I feel like God wants to redraw some standards in the church and say, you know what, we're not going to watch that. And it's not okay that you say that. And, and it actually, devotion and showing up matters. Like those things that we've just taken, we've taken fences down that have let wolves in. Well, and it's easy to, it's easy to deconstruct. Yes, that's a good word, it yes. It takes no courage to tear down a fence. But it takes a lot of courage and perhaps beyond wisdom yep. to rebuild fences where they ought to be. Yeah. Like the Wesleyan Church, we're not a big denomination in the relationship to many others, but we have a respectable presence yep. in over 100 countries in the world. Mm-hmm. All of those countries are allowed to have all kinds of freedom with how they govern themselves, yep. except we have a list of items still being worked on under the, under the rubric, under the, the title of, we speak with one voice. Mm. And then there are some things that we are believing we should say we should not practice these things. Let's say child abuse, for example. Yeah. No matter what your culture is, where you are. Yeah. We speak with one voice and saying you cannot honor Jesus. Yeah. And destroy children. Right. Like you can't do that. Yeah. And you can't defend it because they've done it in your country for 500 years. Yeah. Same with beating your wife. Yeah. Like some of those kind of things. There's a short list that's being developed as we go on further, but basically wanting to say, if we're going to sit together around the same communion table, we need to be able to say, you and I agree on these basic yes. core things. We're not going to agree on all this peripheral, dare I say, yeah. junk out yeah. here. Yeah. But we are going to agree on these things are a common bond of brotherhood and sisterhood. Mm. These are things we agree on. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if... You know, one of the the tactics of the enemy, though, has been to try to move the line on what are what are essentials and what aren't, you know, and what and that's that's I wrestle with that, you know, like like, you know, back to the conversation around sexuality and, and marriage and gender, you know, I've said it from our pulpit, like it'd be much easier if I could, um, you know, build a biblical argument to go with the flow of how culture or how we even want it to be. Um, but, but the reality is we, there comes a point where we have to take the word of God and say, here's, here's what it, we, we believe it's saying. And I, I explicitly need to yield to that. And, uh, but I do, you know, to, to come full circle on that thought, I do think it's, it's going to be, I hope that I, that I can figure out a way as a church community to lead my kids, you know, with, with guidelines like my parents did for me. And, you know, now, now that I'm older, I'm grateful that they made me go to church. I'm grateful that even when I played competitive basketball, they, they, they managed that tension. And they said, you're not just always going to skip youth group and, and Sunday, you know, even in a time where, where when I was a teenager, that was becoming a rare thing, you know, um, I'm glad for that. And I'm hoping that I can not just take what they've done but even come come a step forward as the church and as a christian dad where i don't just hand them a lifestyle though like i hand them like that somehow and that that was never the intent of my grandparents or my parents they never wanted to just hand me a lifestyle they wanted to point me to a person um but i I wonder if this is a season where uh the church is going to rediscover uh not just jesus but but the lifestyle like that what it looks like to follow him and that uh, 
I guess, I guess to use the word holiness, yeah. you know, it, it matters. Well, and I have four grandchildren, two are in high school, two are in middle school. Yeah. And because I spent a lifetime in the ministry, they unwisely believe I have answers to all things, which I <laughs> clearly do not. But they come to me quite often, Papa, they call me. Papa, what do you think about this? Yeah. What do you think about that? And those questions always center around behavioral things like we're talking about, yeah. where they're trying to find out where is a faith-based norm in this? Yeah. Like what kind of latitude is there and where should we be and all of that? So these kind of things are facing us in ways now, I think, more acute than when you were growing up or I was growing up. The, the issues have shifted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're now having to try to parse out issues for which everybody thought they had a clear, crisp answer 25 years ago. Right, right, right. yeah. Now they're being reparsed. Yeah, well, I think this goes along along that line, um, is the managing the tension and figuring out the nuance of, at some level, you know, um, whether it's uh, law or, or lifestyle articles, or, or even organizations, like because because again you've you've worked for a denomination and you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with that, and it's all of those things. There's there's yep. very good things, and there's 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 disadvantages to it as well, and 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 you can see that at every, every scale, whether it's with the denomination. I see it. I see it even within our church. Like as a, as an organization grows, you gain some things because mm-hmm. it's larger, but you also lose some things, and. You know, but you've always been a guy who is um, pretty grounded in your history. You know, you did, like you said, you traveled the world. You you led all over the place. You had opportunity to, you know, put roots down in Indiana or, or wherever you wanted. And yet you came back here. You know, what is it about that? Like, I think I think one of the ways I describe you is loyal. You know, and what what is it? What is it that makes you? You know, at the end of at the end of your, you know, as you've retired three times, you 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 live here. Like, what is it that's made you see the value of of you know you've served you've served a denomination for better for worse for for decades and 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 a region too here in Atlantic Canada. Like, what what is it about what is it about like loyalty and again? Because I I just want to get to a place in my life where I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because I get frustrated with something or or that kind of thing. And what, what's guided you to be able to, you know, now there's something about rootage. Yes. R O T A G E. There's something about rootage. Yeah. Uh, I had the benefit as you did of growing up in a home that honored God. Yeah. Parents that honored each other, Mm -hmm. did the best they could to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to quote the book. Right. Right. So that's my background. And it goes back about, three generations at least on both sides of my family. So that rootage thing was there, uh, which has its own appeal as you get older. Yeah, There's something about that. It almost has a magnetic pull hmm. to it. Yeah. That, that Now, if I had been born into a family that was very different than the one where I was, I don't know whether I would have felt right. that or yeah. been pulled back, so to speak, yeah. here. But... Uh, Regardless, and it's there. It's yeah, but it's yeah, there yeah. to the point that we lived in the United States for twenty years but never became citizens. Wow. Yeah. And there was no reason not to. Yeah. After five years we met all the qualifications you needed to, and it would have been 
hyper convenient to have two passports right and move back and forth across the border without having but we didn't do that yeah and part of it was interesting brent to me that part of the reason we didn't do it is our kids who were teenagers when we got to that point said we're canadians and that's all there is to it wow we're glad yeah. to live here, but yeah. we're Canadians. It wasn't anti-American. It yeah. was pro-Canadian kind yeah. of thing. So that rootage piece, yeah. I think, was a part of it. Um, and, of course, it, which is all part of your family connections here and those other kind of things. Right. And I didn't look back on my upbringing or this circumstance around us. I didn't look back with a lot of painful memories and scarred tissue in my spirit yeah. because of things that had happened there. Yeah, and so it just seemed normal. Yeah, maybe, yeah, to come back, to come back home. Yeah, and uh, so you know, for better or worse, here we are. I actually was born in this city, St. John. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I'm really back home. Yeah, which parenthetically, it does something to. I was born in the old St. John General Hospital. Yep. It was yep. destroyed a few years ago. Yeah, I think it's been uh, quite like a while. Years yeah, ago quite a while ago. Like that now. It's painful to yeah, your psyche 20. to outlive a hospital. I bet you there's yeah. something about that. I suspect it so. Seems really weird to yeah, me. Yeah, like you feel like you're on borrowed time now. Something, yeah. something. But the rootage piece was, yeah, strong. Yeah. What is it though? Like, like even speaking denominationally and organizationally. I mean, we've had some conversations yeah. about that. And I, and, yeah. You know, trying to find my way in, you know, being grateful that I'm part of something bigger, but at the same time trying to figure out how to, how to, how to lead in a healthy way and in yeah. today and, you know. What advice would you give to, you know, I think, I think I'm growing in my rootedness and groundedness and, and seeing the value of that and seeing it as an asset instead of a setback. Um, and yet I, I would say the generation coming behind me is even more aggressive in yeah. the, we don't need that. We don't need this. Yeah. We don't like, and just very back to the deconstruction word, yeah. you know, there's, and there's probably a place for, I know there is, there's a place for that, but you know the enemy loves to get in and destroy, not just deconstruct. And right. what advice, like what counsel would you give a person like me or, or younger people who say, I don't need my parents' faith, I don't need yeah. the denomination, I don't need this or that? Like what, what's kept you? Well, part, I, of, part of what's kept me, I think, is the acute awareness from observation. There are no perfect denominations. So if you're hmm. looking for a perfect one, don't leave this one to go to another one. You'll find out it's got yeah. warts too. Or churches for that, local churches or, for or that matter. Or go beyond that. There are no perfect independent churches either. Yeah, exactly. They all have their own limitations, often centered around the leader, which could be true with a denomination too. Mm -hmm. But so there are no perfect independent churches. Everyone needs to be submissive to someone, that whole piece. Yeah. Um, but I do think denominations can be both empowering and frustrating in the nth degree. Like, you yeah. Know, it's a, I hate to use the word crapshoot, but yeah. I mean, it, it, you're not exactly sure what you're going to get, sure. so to speak. But I would sooner contribute as best I can to help to develop and continue to see the development of a healthy organization right. that is continuing to grow and attracting young people and others, as opposed to saying, nope, think I'll run over here on my own. Mm. That happened enough, what, there are 400 and some denominations in the United States, for yeah. goodness sakes. Everybody had a better idea. Right. So find a common bond and yeah. try to develop it and nurture yeah. it and find out, are these people flexible? Are they making yeah. changes? Are they adapting yeah. to today? Are they married only to yesterday? Yeah. What are we... So for you, for you, you, 
and I, I I understand this because I see it I see it in a smaller scale at our church. Like you you see the vehicle of a denomination, for instance, as something that it can't it can't accomplish something that if we if we work it, right. it, it it can work. Is it perfect? No. Can it get flat tires? Yes. yes. Um, it's the same. Like I've had conversations with people who've come on the board or come deep into leadership. It's like okay. You're going to get to pop the hood on this thing, and you're going to find that there's some stuff that if you're not ready for it, it's, it's going to take some maturity. You're going to realize that there's some things there's some things that we got to work on. Yeah, it's not perfect. And it's like seeing the value, I think, of or, or even the potential of what could happen if, like you said, like if we have a healthy organization, we can really accomplish some stuff. And well, and for five years, I had the privilege of being the general director of the international ministry for the Wesleyan Church, yep. right? All that overseas stuff. Yeah. A lot of good work being done in schools, hospitals, clinics, church planting, a lot of good stuff that could never happen by one church on its own, not ever. Right. Those things only became reality because, because of the people who viewed the Great Commission seriously said, who can we link up with and trust to do what we want done with our money right. to help these things go forward, right? Yeah. So I became a stronger believer than I was before, I think, when mm-hmm. I was in the missions thing with the organized churches banded together on a common bond of understanding yeah. of the great commission. Right. And we're all supporting the same yeah. cause. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I think cause, cause especially when you get in these international things and you guys are the denomination, it gets very hard when you're on the ground in Atlantic Canada to see the value in, yeah. you know, Swaziland or, or wherever. Yeah, right. It's, and you could give all kinds of yeah. illustrations yeah. of that. Right. But one that just pops into mind, I was in Guyana in South America when we dedicated a Bible in the Patamuna language for a tribal group that had never had a word of the scripture yep. in their language ever. Mm. Some wow. people came by wow. five days by canoe wow. to be there. <laughs> it touches me, yeah. No doubt. And about when the time came, about 10 young men came in carrying boxes on their shoulders, each of which held 50 copies of the Bible. And the people were celebrating oh, and praising man. the Lord and jumping up and down grabbing the Bible and kissing this thing. And it had been done by um, a translation team that included a lifetime Wesleyan missionary, a Jesuit priest. Wow. And two translators that we had borrowed from Wycliffe. Wow. They'd come from the country next door, Suriname and over. So here you had this group, a Catholic and a Wesleyan and a couple of Wycliffe dudes. I don't know what their background was, Dutch Reformed likely. And these people celebrating a Bible we got Bibles home with dust on them. Yeah, you yeah, have too, probably. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so how could all of this have happened? Was somebody doing it on their own? Yeah. You couldn't do it on your yeah. own. And if this is, <laughs> I must say this, yeah. it's probably dangerous, maybe. Oh. But the Jesuit priest there, yeah. I really like this dude. Yeah. And by the way, the lady who was our missionary working on that project, she had grown up in a very conservative Wesleyan church in Ohio. Okay. She was about 65 then. She said, if my forebears knew I was working every day with a Jesuit priest, they'd, they'd unown me, disown me. Yeah. Anyhow, he'd come up to me, and we had a nice chat. He was a British guy. Yeah. He said, my name is Paul Martin. I'm a Jesuit priest. Wow. He said, you once had a prime minister. Yeah. By my name, he was not very good. <laughs> that was uh, his, not my comment. Yeah, his. Yep, yep. For the record. Not for the record. Yeah. It's not my comment. Yeah. But that was an illustration, of which I could give many illustrations yeah. like that, yeah. of the power of joining together. Yeah. To do a task that cannot be done alone. Yeah, and I I believe that like the the challenge is kind of keeping that big picture 
you know, the scope of it yeah. front and center. And then though, I think, and this is, I, I'm, I'm feeling it's funny. If you would have asked me eight, nine months ago, you know, do you, do you have a control problem? Uh, when it comes to the church, I would have said, nope. And then I lost some, some, some control. And so I, f- I feel like, the, yeah. and I, and this 20, like 2020 has exposed some, some angst in me that I didn't know was there. Um, and specifically, and I had this thought, uh, a few weeks ago, you know, if somebody were to follow me around for a few days and they could read my thoughts and they could see, they hear my conversations and they see what's troubling me or what I'm interested in or all that. And they had to do an audit of what, what is occupying Brent Ingersoll right now? I think, I think they would say, or they would have said, and I'm, I'm working to make this not the case, but they would say, I, he's very concerned about saving the church. Like he just wants to make sure the church is okay through this and that we come out the other side okay. And I, I, the Lord checked my heart, though, on that because on the one hand, that seems like a good and noble thing that you would want a pastor who wants to care about his church— mm-hmm. But I felt the Lord say, like, actually, I'm not super interested in saving the church. I'm interested in spending it. And, like, my what I'm after is saving the world, and you're the vehicle to do that. And if you're getting into this mode where your number one priority is to maintain the viability of your organization, you have put, you have put in a countdown clock on this thing. And, I, I, and that, to me, that, to me, is not just a fight of, of a denomination, but for a local church as well. And I think that's the thing that every leader— and every pastor needs to wrestle down right now is, you know, how is the Lord moving? And, and yes, this vehicle can't accomplish great things, but are we, are we working to, to use this and to, and to literally use it, you know, empty it out and pour it out on those moments like you, like you had giving the Bible, like that's what this is for. And it, but it, it's so, it's human nature that I, you know, I think the Lord in his kindness to me has yet again revealed is deep within me to to preserve and to save and to to try to keep this thing how we have it and and that to me has been my my dance with I've been probably unfairly critical of the denomination for being guilty of that because I haven't seen I haven't been pressed you know in my own leadership of of seeing that that's in me too and it's like and I think at every scale we as as leaders especially especially leaders in the church that's the fight is like can we use this thing and maximize it and are we doing it to the to the ends that god is really like the the great commission ends and it's funny how fast we can convince ourselves we are and but then a little trauma comes along and says actually what you care more about is that this is here this is here next week or and you know, I, I was at a meeting a couple of years ago, and I was at the end of a national assignment I had with our church. Invited to a meeting in Mississauga of den, uh, leaders of den, uh, evangelical denominations in Canada. Yeah, there were eighteen of us there. I didn't know anybody in the room except two other people, and they were from all across the country. Seventeen men and one woman, by the way. Wow, it's interesting to me. She was a Salvation Army guy. Yeah, or gal. Yeah, but we had visitors there with us who came to make presentations, which included the president of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, the president of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities, and the president of the Christian Legal Society okay. of Canada. Yeah, I came away from that 
with three words that the guy from the uh, Evangelical Fellowship gave us. He used them in a different context, and I think they apply today. I'm actually working up a talk on this, but he was talking about tension in the culture. Mm -hmm. It was back when Trinity Western and British Columbia was trying to get their law school approved by the folks in Ontario, and they, that wasn't yep. going to happen, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So it was in that whole thing of the culture turning against the church or tipping away from it. Mm -hmm. But his three words were prepare for winter. Wow. When was this? This was about two years ago. Oh, my goodness. Prepare for winter. Yep. He meant these things like Trinity was fighting about. Yep. What you just described was preparing for winter. Mm. When you, things change in the winter, yep. the warmth is gone in some way. Yep. There are good things can happen in winter. Yeah. But prepare for winter, I think, is a shift in thinking. Like you just yeah. said, is God saying your task is not to preserve kings. Yeah. Your task is to do what you can to impact the kingdom. Yeah. Right, the broader, which is kind of a winter thought. Like yeah. it, the prepare for summer is be as big and glorious as we can. Yeah. Prepare for winter, it refines thinking. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, I'm working on that. But those words were impacting to me. Did you did you catch that um, r very early when the pandemic hit? Andy Crouch put out a put out an article. I'll send it to you if you if you haven't seen it. But he talked about that this pandemic is yeah. going to be a winter or maybe even an ice age. That yes, kind I of read thing that. that we I read that. Yeah. yeah, which tied, which was much more current, but tied in with that earlier yeah. thought. Right? Yeah. yeah, he talked about the ice age. And, yeah, you know, what are we in now exactly? And yeah, how long will this last? It was very intriguing article. I, I think what what this winter has exposed, though, in me is that like it's just show it's just showing some areas where we aren't as missional as we thought we were, or maybe we aren't as evangelistic as we thought we were, and. You know, I've even noticed as churches have tried to rally their their people to come back to church. Um, you know, I get that, and I want I want to experience that. I, I can't wait for the day where we have worship like we we can, or even better than we ever have. I think that'll happen. Um, but there is a there is something crying inside of me when I hear you know leaders and churches just expending so much energy to try to get their people to come back and sit in a seat. And, and I'm, and I'm just like, is that, is that really, is that the goal? Like, is that the goal of the church or is the, it, are those seats actually meant to be something that, yes, if, is that the goal or is that the means to the goal? Like when you come into that seat and you get filled up and you get sent out and it's just like, man, I, I feel like the Lord is really bringing refinement and, and defining, you know, some of maybe some of those things we might have gotten twisted and I, I I'm finding that in my own my own spirit right now and trying to ask the Lord to reveal it and, and give me a a heart a posture that's that's both yielded and surrendered but also full of hope of what we can accomplish and man it's a it's a challenging time yeah I find myself trying to avoid I think I'm doing okay with this but I'm not sure trying to avoid praying for things to be like they were yeah yep Yep. Because there's a part of me, like we already said earlier, I want things like they were. Yep. But they may not have been serving the Great Commission the best. That's right. Yep. So I'm trying to discern somehow what does it mean to come out of this winter season when we do with doing things that were not the same. Yeah. They're different in some way, maybe yet to be yep. defined. Seven yep. months ago, Brent, seven months ago, less than seven months ago, COVID was the first, it hadn't touched the church at all. Right. 15th of March was the day most churches quit services mm -hmm. or thereabouts. 
And you may remember what was being said then was we'll be back by Easter. Yep. Yep. No one dreamed of this. Nobody dreamed of this. So that's within the last six months. So one of the things, and I'm not in active leadership now, but one of the things I keep talking to God about every morning, if all of this could happen in six months and none of us saw it, mm. what's next? Yeah. Yeah. What's the next six months going to bring that we may be unprepared for? Yeah. And, you know, God helps to prepare for winter. Yeah. And my hope, my hope is, and I, I do, it's, there's been a shift you know, it's funny, like uh, even today is we're, the, as we're recording this, you probably felt in the air as cool. Yeah. You know, you could, you felt, you felt the shift in the air, like, yep. Ooh, fall's coming, yep. you know, and you could feel it. And I've, I've been, it's been, it's been a, I'll use this word. Uh, it's been a hell of a year <laughs> to, to use that terminology yeah. um, on multiple levels, not just the church, but some personal things and family things and, organizational things it's just been one thing after another and you know i've battled this year a certain degree of just fighting despair and fatigue and all that and i will say though i would say in the last 14 to 21 days or so there's there's a shift inside of me where i feel i don't know if it's permission to hope or if it's god depositing another measure of faith but i feel like I just have this sense, like almost like the air, the air shifting and uh, will we be, be back to normal? I doubt it. I think, but I actually am starting to dare to believe that, that normal could be better than it was before. And I wonder if this is this, this crushing season is going to create something new. And, you know, there's a lot that I don't know, but I do, I do have a sense that God is working towards reaching this world and bringing the kingdom here. And and as long as we partner with that, we're going to be all right. And the other thing I've been thinking about, and I love your, I'd love your take on this is because you've, I mean, you've seen it as you've served the denomination, you've seen the, 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 you know, the denomination form, not just partnership, but friendship and alignment with other denominations that when you were my age, even would never have even you know, they were enemies almost. And I wonder if this isn't a time where, and it might not be in my lifetime where we're able to really call it this, but I wonder if the, if this is a time where the Lord is bringing a unity in the church that has not existed since, you know, 500 AD, you know, that kind of thing where you you go through those big historic schisms, so to speak, and you go back to the Reformation where, I mean, it just fractured. And I would actually say for the better, like the Great Reformation mm-hmm. and then all the denominations that spun off out of that, one of the things I've found, and you've probably found this too, I'd love to hear you on it, is, you know, the Baptists give us an angle on God that if if they weren't, if they weren't there, we'd be missing something about the holiness of God and the you know, the, the sovereignty of God. Like I wouldn't appreciate that if it wasn't for the John Pipers of the world. And yeah. the Pentecostals give a, a passion and a love for the fire and the power of God. And the Wesleyans, the Arminian, like all these things have, have given us a fuller picture of who God is. And I wonder if God is not moving us to, you know, if, if 1500 AD was the great reformation, if this is going to be the great unification where, and now, I mean, right now people are listening to us who knows where. Yeah. You have this global digital economy. You just wonder if that's not how the Spirit's moving today. And would you, would you, how would you, how do you see that? 
I'm 75 years old. When I was growing up, this was done without malice, I believe. But when I was growing up, there was a lot of conversations about how we were different from other people. Right. Right. There's the foot washers over here, the, the brother of people. They yeah. wash feet. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. The Pentecost, you can't understand them because yeah. they're babbling and yeah. something. Yeah. And, you know, the Baptist, you can do whatever you want because Cal, you yeah. know, well, all, always all of that. Yeah. And so there was a lot of conversation about what keeps us apart, even some preaching about that. Right. Right. Don't hear that anymore. Yeah. And it's become what you're saying, kind of the old, there used to be an old gospel song that said, you're my brother, so give me your hand. Uh-huh. That, that kind of idea, until we now talk much more about what holds us together yeah. than what keeps us apart. Yeah. And so long as we don't give up on the scandal of particularity, yeah. there's one way to God through Jesus. As long as that's an irreducible truth at our core, I think giving up all this other stuff is a very good thing yeah. and helps us a lot. And, you know, as a small example, I serve on the board of trustees of a small college not far from here Mm -hmm. that's owned by the Wesleyan Church, now has a Nazarene and a Pentecostal and others who are actually on the board, which would have been like drinking strychnine back 20 years ago. (laughs) It just wouldn't have been because we are dwelling on the thing. There's a lot that holds us together, and there are enough genuine forces of evil, if I may use that term, yes. that are coming against the church, that those of us who are in the church need to join arms together and yeah. say, we agree on what's really important. What can we do together? Yeah. And seeing a lot more of that. It's, inter- it's, it's interesting. I mean, maybe that's that's part of the the grace of God in allowing the church to go through, whether it's the cultural wars or COVID or, or just the kind of the general global climate of the day is, you know, it's like, it's like when you, when, when a, when a bigger hill to die on comes along, all of a sudden the small little, the, the molehills all of a sudden don't really matter all that much. And it's like, we maybe we don't have the luxury or the margin, you know, I, I've, this probably is not politically correct to say, it might get me in trouble, but whatever. Uh, you know, I've always thought of like some of the, some of the, banners and the fights that people pick these days like that never happened in in the 1940s because there was a world war going on and you really didn't have the luxury it's like the luxury of comfort has allowed some of these disagreements and these these wars that we fight to exist and you wonder if God brought a little pressure on the church to get us over maybe some of those I don't know whether this is a good analogy because all illustrations fall apart if you push them too far yeah right but we all know of multiple police reports about a husband and wife that are fighting mm-hmm. and you call the cops. Yep. The cops show up. Now the husband and wife are together fighting the cop, more right, or less. Right, right. Brought them together. Yes. Brought them together. Yeah. Well, if you can imagine that the Christian church is like a couple mm-hmm. and we spent hundreds of years fighting each other yep. about this or that or something else and now a force has come against us that's challenging that. Now we're banding together. Right. To fight against this force yes. in a way, which I think is a good thing. The church always does better when the culture is negative toward it. Yep. Yep. Like it brings it, you have a chance to measure what's important here anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, why are, let me, let's, let's end with this. So what, what makes you hopeful? You know, you're, you're in a different gear now. Yep. Um, you've, you've, you've left a legacy and, and, and roads for guys like me to follow. Um, what makes you hopeful, though, when you look at the landscape of things? And even, I mean, we're still smack dab in the middle yep. of a global pandemic. 
you know. I read the last chapter of the book. There you go. Yeah. And in a way, that sounds, I know that sounds oversimplified. Yeah. But that's it. We're on the winning side. That doesn't mean you win every battle. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we don't have bad days ahead of us, which I do believe we do. Yeah. My daily scripture reading lately has been in Matthew, where many difficult things happen to the church. Yeah. And were predicted to happen. Yeah. Again, right? So I get all that. And I don't mean to trivialize it, but when it's over and done, yeah. we're part of the winning side, yeah. right? And nothing's going to take that away from us. It may surprise us, by the way, yeah. who's there at the end. Yeah. yeah, Some of the people who wouldn't let in may be there. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a rejoicing day, and we're going to have the winning banner at the end. It only matters in an election race or any other kind of a, or a sports event. Yeah. It doesn't matter who's ahead at the beginning or in the middle. Yeah. It matters who's ahead at the end. Yeah. And we're going to be ahead at the end. Yeah. That's my hope. I agree. Well, that's, we, we know how the story ends. We do. So well, thanks. Thanks, Dr. Wilson. This has been a real, a real privilege and a treat and we'll have to do it again. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with H.C. Wilson as much as I did. He is a real gift, not just to me and my life, but I believe to the kingdom of God. And it's been a real treat to talk to him. Hey, before you go, do me a favor, hit subscribe, leave a review, do whatever you can to help us get these messages out. I'd sure appreciate it. We'll see you next time.